Father God, we love you, we praise you, we glorify you in the mighty name of Jesus. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's alive and that it's active and that it's sharper than any double-edged sword. God, we pray today that you would use this word to change us, challenge us, and to convict us. God, I pray for people that are watching on Facebook and YouTube and Twitter and all over the nation and the globe that are watching this message. God, I pray that this would come through this screen. They would speak directly to their situation, God. We pray for the spirit of truth to be over this message, that it would minister to people, that it would encourage them today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we're going to be in First Samuel, excuse me, Second Samuel chapter 12. Uh, we've been going through it. I think this is our third sermon through Second Samuel 12, and uh, it's the end of it. And uh, so here we go. Second Samuel chapter 12, starting verse 24, it says, Then David comforted Bathsheba, his wife, and went into her and lay with her. So, so she bore a son, and he called his name Solomon. Now the Lord loved him, and he sent word by the hand of Nathan the prophet. And so he called his name Jedidiah because of the Lord. Now Joab fought against Rabbah of the people of Ammon and took the royal city. And Joab sent messengers to David and said, I have fought against Rabbah and I have taken the city's water supply. Now therefore gather the rest of the people together and encamp against the city and take it, lest I take the city and it be called after my name. So David gathered all the people together and went to Rabbah and fought against it and took it. And then he took their king's crown from his head. Its weight was a town of gold with precious stones. And it was set on David's head. Also, he brought out the spoil of the city in great abundance. And he brought out the people who were in it and put them to work with saws and iron and picks and iron axes and made them cross over to the brickworks. So he did to all the cities of the people of Ammon that David and all the people returned to Jerusalem. So this story is a continuation of the, uh, what we've been walking through in 2 Samuel, um, where in chapter 11 was the whole thing with David and Bathsheba, that most of you know that story. And then the next part of chapter 12 is the prophet Nathan comes to uh, David, and David receives the rebuke. And so part of the rebuke of David was how he was going to respond. And last, last week we saw that David's response was that he admitted his sin and he admitted that, that he was wrong before God. And, and the Bible calls that repentance. When, when you admit the fact that you've been wrong towards God and you admit the fact that you need a, a, someone else to save you and forgive you, that's a, an act of repentance. And so what we see here is what happens after repentance. And, 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 and as we walk through, we see that his son Solomon is born. We see that Joab uh, goes out to war in Rabbah against the people of Ammon. And then we see Israel having victory. And then we see this great abundance that happens in Israel uh, after David had repented. And um, the interesting thing about David's repentance is that he admitted his sins with no qualifiers or demands. He simply repents and turns towards God and says that I was wrong. I need you to forgive me. And, and, and our human uh, relationships, oftentimes people ask someone else for forgiveness, but they don't experience the restoration of the relationship. Now, here's the thing is that when you ask God for forgiveness, it always equals restoration of the relationship because we serve a God of restoration. We serve a God that if, if you go to him and you ask for forgiveness, he's going to forgive you of, of your sins and then you're going to be in a restored relationship with him. That's how it works. If you're watching uh, me today, if you're watching this today and you don't have a relationship with God, God wants you to turn from your sins. He wants you to ask for forgiveness. He wants you to enter into a relationship with him. 
At the end of this message, I'll ask you whether or not you want to become a Christian. I'll ask you whether or not you want to live for him. Because that's what the beginning of relationship with God looks like, is it's always repentance and turning to him. Now, this morning, what I want to do is I just want to let God's word speak to us uh, from this story. uh, Because I think that this story is really an example of a man that was in sin, a man that repented, and then what happens after he repents? What happens inside of his life? Uh, Because this is the after story of the story of his repentance. And so there's just a few things in the moments that we have together that I want to draw out of this. And the first thing is this is that when you repent, it brings in God's mercy. We serve a God of mercy, friend. We serve a God that desires to show mercy. He loves to show mercy. It's in his nature to show mercy. He is a loving, caring, merciful God that desires to show mercy to his people. Time and time again in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, all throughout scripture, we see a God that desires and loves to show mercy. It says in Isaiah, Isaiah 55, 6 and 7. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. Let me, let me explain this to you. God abundantly forgives sin. That's what he does. If you go to him in faith and you say, Lord, will you forgive me of this sin? He, he forgives every sin 100% of the time. And here's the best part about God. He does not hold grudges or offenses. He forgives the repentant. And then this is so different than our human relationships because people do not forgive as quickly as God does, but we serve a God that immediately forgives when we turn to him. We, we see this in the beginning of our verse this morning. It says in verse 12, 24, then David comforted Bathsheba, his wife, and he went into her and lay with her. So she bore a son and he called his name Solomon. And it says, now the Lord loved him. This is, a, this is David's story of sin and how God was so angry with David and his sin that he ended up killing his son. And now, uh, after that episode had happened and David came back and repented and David came back and asked for forgiveness, that he, he immediately has a son with his wife and God loves him. God doesn't withhold his love from him just because of his past sins. God doesn't look at him and say, well, you know, just recently you were bad to me and just recently you did something to me and so now I'm going to withhold my love from you. No, that's not the nature and character of God at all. God God, God goes directly to who he is. David is repentant and God says, you know what? I still love you. I still love your family. I still want to be in relationship with you. God is not holding it against him because he repented. God isn't saying, well, uh, this is the past. He's not saying that at all. Those of you that are home today, I'm sure that you've had the experience of having something bad happen to you. Someone did you wrong and you spent far too much time in your mind planning their demise or you hold a grudge against someone and you won't move past it. Today I want to tell you to have the nature and character of God to move past everything that has been done to you. If someone has asked for forgiveness, if somebody has asked you to uh, forgive them, I want you to let them go from that, not hold that against them. I want you to forgive them in the way that God has forgiven you. Amen? Amen. Quit feeling justified in your anger. 
Quit feeling justified that you can do whatever you want just because someone did something to you. You understand that about yourself when someone when when you've when someone's done something wrong to you or when you've done something wrong to somebody else and then you want them to forgive you. You want that relationship to go correctly, but you don't want to do that with somebody else when they've hurt you. Yeah. That's not the nature and character of God. That's not how God deals with us. We shouldn't deal that way with other people who have repented and asked for forgiveness. 2 Chronicles 7.14 If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and heal their land. That is the nature and character of God. He forgives sin and he restores relationship. Proverbs 28, 13, it says, He who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. What does it mean to you? Are you holding yourself to a grudge that God is not holding you to? Have, Have you repented of your sins? And, and, and now that you've repented of your sins, that you are holding yourself uh, to this standard and saying, there's no way that God has forgiven me. There's no way that God has set me free from this. Friend, if you have repented and you've asked for, forgiven, asked for forgiveness, you are set free in the name of Jesus. Your sins are not held against you. You have to walk in the mercy that God provides. You have to walk in it. Amen? Amen. Jesus forgives you and he loves you. He's not holding anything against you. As much as God forgave David and loved Solomon, he loves you as well. This is a promise of Scripture that you need to appropriate in your own life. And since God has forgiven you, maybe it's about time that you forgave yourself and moved on. Maybe it's time that you walked in the forgiveness that God provides. Maybe it's time that you start to have good sleep at night and you quit having that pit in your stomach and you quit worrying about what happened in the past and you move forward and you say, you know what, I repented, I stopped doing that action, I know that God loves me and now I can live in the freedom that Christ provides. Because when you talk about freedom in Christ, when you talk about what, what, what peace that God brings, that's the peace that passes all understanding. Because other people can't be freed from their past sins because they're held in this mental prison where they think that I'm, I'm held to this standard of what I've happened in my past. But that's not scripture. That's not what God does. We serve a God that forgives. We serve a God that sets free. James 4, 9 and 10. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. This is what God does. When we humble, He lifts up. Why? Because He's a merciful God. Repentance always brings mercy. Let me show you this verse in Ezekiel 33.11. In Ezekiel 33.11 it says, Say to them, as I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways. For why should you die, O house of Israel? This is why uh, I always get frustrated when people say God of the Old Testament, God of the New Testament. The God of the Old Testament was a God of love and mercy just as much as Jesus was a God of love and mercy. Excuse me, is a God of love and mercy. Let me show you this other verse in, in Ezekiel. I think it's so powerful. If I can just find it here in my... That's Ezra. Jeremiah, Ezekiel, here it is. Got my little cheater tabs. 
Can I just tell you right now that your level of spirituality is not your ability to find a book in the Bible quicker than anybody else? Sometimes people think, well, man, I, I, listen, I'm using my brain holding up a lot more things than the order of books in the Bible, okay? I've been serving God for a lot of years, and I still don't, I do know Genesis is first and Revelation is last. The rest of the stuff, it's just kind of up, up for discussion. So in Ezekiel 18, 27 through 30, it says this. You know what, actually, let's back up. I'm going to do 25. I know that's not on the scriptures because I probably did a keystroke problem, but it says, Yet you say, The way of the Lord is not fair. Here now, O Israel, is it not my way which is fair and your ways which are not fair? When a righteous man turns away from his righteousness, commits iniquity, and dies in it, it is because of the iniquity which he has done that he dies. Again, when a wicked man turns from the wickedness which he committed and does what is lawful and right, he preserves himself because he considers and turns away from all of his transgressions which he committed. He shall surely live, he shall not die. Yet the house of Israel says, The way of the Lord is not fair. O house of Israel, is it not my ways which are fair and your ways which are not fair? Now, what I love about this scripture is this is that God's economy and the way that God deals with people to the world seems unfair. It seems like, well, I don't understand. How can this somebody be an adulterous murderer and they still get full relationship with God, but then I I do something wrong with my mind and then it seems like I can't be forgiven of it. It doesn't seem fair to the world that someone that's an adulterous murderer should be restored into relationship with God, but that's not the way God's economy works. God forgives sin. That's what he does. He's in the business of forgiving sin. And, and here's what you have to understand is that the, the, the world does not see how Christians live as being fair. In the world's eyes, they think, you know what, if a, if a Christian sins and does something wrong, it should be held against them the rest of their lives. But that's not how God works. There's many of us in the church, in this church specifically, that doesn't deserve what we have at all. And we don't get half of what we deserved. There's people that attend our church that have done some of the most despicable things and have done time for it. Literal time behind bars, what they've done. And I know that you've probably done stuff too. And people would say, well, they don't deserve to live a life like that. And in the world, yeah, that makes sense. They don't deserve it. But in God's world, God says, I forgive and I restore because I'm a God of mercy. Amen? God will give you stuff that to the world seems like it isn't fair. Amen. I remember back when I had a sales job and uh, I I got to this company and I was the new hire and there was guys that had been there for many years and I showed up and and, uh, I I just did what I was asked and and worked really hard and there was five territories, five five sales territories at this company and it was interesting. I had only been there for 90 days and some of these guys had been there for years and the best sales territory out of the five came up and uh, I got the best sales territory and I'd only been there for 90 days when other guys that had been there for years got this, didn't get the sales territory. And some of these guys were really upset and uh, went to the boss and said, hey, how come this new guy gets this tail- sales territory? I thought I was next in line to be able to get it. And uh, he just said, hey man, I'm giving it to Crachunas. That's who gets it. And... I know that for them, they were probably kind of upset about it, but I was the only one of the group that was a Christian. I was the only one that, that had God's favor on it, man. And I know that some people say, well, that doesn't seem very fair. And I'm like, well, favor ain't fair. That's just, that's just how it is, man. 
I serve an almighty God. I serve a God that forgives and sets free and wants to bless his children. And when I took that job, I prayed, Lord, give me a great territory that I can sell and care for my family. And God gave it to me. Amen. Because favor ain't fair. I didn't deserve it. I didn't deserve it, but God gave it to me anyway. Here's the second thing about this scripture is that repentance brings victory. Repentance brings victory. This is an interesting part of the story. And now, uh, so David goes and he has the, uh, uh, he has the relationship with Bathsheba and kills her husband and does all these things. And, and, and so then now he has this new husband, excuse me, he has this new child with Bathsheba and God says, I love you. And then the other part of the story is that then it moves in where Joab is now going to war with Ammon. And so we have to jump back a little bit to second Samuel chapter 10. And you can go up and you can look at this sermon and you can see um, the Israelites went to war with the Ammonites and the Syrians and they beat the Syrians, but they didn't destroy the Ammonites. Now watch this, because this is part of the story where when you read your whole Bible, it makes sense. They were not able to defeat the Ammonites previously, but now after David's repentance, they were able to defeat the Ammonites. Whenever you are having struggles in your life and you haven't uh, uh, turned your heart away from your sin, you've turned towards God, I believe God will frustrate the work of your hands and he won't give you victory in the way that, that you want to have victory. And, and we see that in this story is that David was limited in his, in his physical conquests. And I believe that even though in 2 Samuel chapter 11, and, and just step aside for a minute, this is my own thoughts. It doesn't say this in the Bible, but this is just what I believe. I believe that David already had lust in his heart and already had plans to sin. And, and so God had frustrated the work of his hands before it even got to this point, even though we didn't read that in scripture. Because if you notice in your own lives, a lot of times the plan to sin happens a long time before the sin happens. Your heart is already turned towards God, uh, turned away from God. You already have disobedience in your heart. And so I, I, I just believe that, that that's part of what happens in this story. But here's what happens in this part is that David repents and now they get victory. Now he's able to be victorious over the Ammonites. It says in verse 26, now Joab fought against Rabbah and the people of Ammon and took the royal city. God wants to bring victory in your life, but he cannot bless disobedience. He can't do it. His grace may allow a measure of victory, but full victory cannot happen in the fullness of disobedience sin. It just can't. Many of you that are hearing this message are, are, are looking at your own life as you well should and think, well, why, why am I not having victory? It may be possible because you're walking in disobedience sin. Deuteronomy 20 verse 4 it says for the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to save you this is a huge theme in the Old Testament if you read through it faithful to God win battles unfaithful to God lose battles and we see it all throughout the Old Testament when Israel was faithful to God they won wars when they were unfaithful to God they lost wars the the, the principle of that still applies in our lives today if we're faithful to God we're gonna win wars if we're unfaithful to God we're going to lose wars Haggai 2.4, yet now be strong, Zerubbabel, says the Lord, and be strong, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and be strong, all you people of the land, says the Lord, and work, for I am with you, says the Lord of hosts. What does it mean to you? What areas of disobedience do you have in your life that you think are holding you back from victory? 
There's probably something that you know the Lord has asked you to start doing that you haven't started doing. That's disobedience. There's something that you're doing that is against the scriptures that God has told you to stop doing. And you need to stop doing that as well. God cannot and will not bless disobedience. It just doesn't work that way at all. The Bible says in 2 Peter 3, 9, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that anyone should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I know that I can be honest with myself and say there was many times where God was very patient with me, waiting for me to get my stuff together so that He could bless me. And He was very, very patient with me and gave me time to turn away, gave me time to get my heart right, and gave me time to to just continue to choose to live a way that He wanted me to live. Why? Because he, he, uh, he, sh- he shows no desire in destroying the wicked, uh, pleasure in destroying the wicked. That's not what he does. He desires to show mercy. He desires to, to, to bless us. And so he is so patient with us because he desires that everybody would come to repentance. And as soon as you repent, then comes the victory. Yeah. Then comes the victory where you're able to see in your life like, man, this is an area of my life where I was struggling, but God was gracious. I repented and now I have victory over this area. Friend, there's some areas of my life that I don't even struggle with and sin anymore because God was patient with me enough. I came to repentance and now I walk in victory over it because of the grace that he bestowed upon me uh, in that season. And so I want to encourage you today that he is patient and he's been patient with you in your sin. But he wants you to repent. He wants you to turn away from that. Even now, and people think, well, just because I'm under house arrest, there's no sin. Friend, sin comes knocking at your door. (coughs) It's not even the action of sin uh, typically that people deal with. It's even just the thought of sin, your thought life, your desire life. Turn from that today and experience victory. It's only through Jesus that we get this victory. It's not through any other thing. It's not even through willpower that you're able to get this victory. It's, it's through the determination only to go to God and say, God, I need you to forgive me. God, I need your Holy Spirit to help me get through this. I need you to, to, to forgive me of this sin. And now I'm able to walk in a way that you desire for me to walk. And that only comes through Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 15.57 says, But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's only through the Lord Jesus Christ that we can have this victory. And it's victory over sin. It's victory over self, over pain, loneliness, trauma, suffering, all manner of brokenness. God can can give you victory over. Let me show you this in, in Psalm 118. Love this. If you're sitting home next to somebody, touch them and say, Amen. <laughs> Clap a little bit at home. Amen. Gosh, I can't, even, I can't even describe to you guys the amount of gumption that it takes to preach to a room with the worship team and my wife. <laughs> but we're doing it. Amen. 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 My wife's amen in me. I'm going to amen myself. All right. Psalm 118, starting in verse 5. Psalm 118, verse 5. I called on the Lord in distress. The Lord answered me and set me in a broad place. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? 
The Lord is for me among those who help me. Therefore, I shall see my desire on those who hate me. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. All nations surround me, but in the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. They surrounded me. Yes, they surrounded me, but in the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. They surrounded me like bees. They were quenched like a fire of thorns. For in the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. You pushed me violently that I might fall, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. The voice of rejoicing and salvation is in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die, but live and declare the works of the Lord. The Lord has chastened me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Amen. Friend, God wants you to have victory over sin and in this world. He wants you to walk in the victory that he provides. But that victory is only possible through repentance. It just is. You can't live an unrepentant life and expect that you're going to see the victory. I've been pastoring now for, uh, I don't know, almost 17 years. 17 years. And I, and I will tell you from my own experience, I've seen time and time again, the people that walk in disobedient sin never experience victory in their lives. They, they, they just never do it. They, they, they have job problems and relationship problems and health problems and, and things that go wrong in their lives. And they always are like, man, I can't seem to figure out why God won't bless the work of my hands. And, and nine times out of 10, I would say 99 out of 100, it's because there is sin in their lives and God is chastising them to get them to bow the knee. And some people would say, well, well that, that's not very nice, is it? Well, if you are in your right mind at some time, I know that I say to God, God, whatever you need to do in my life to get me to live for you, yeah. do that. If you got to pop my tire, pop my tire. If you, if you got to give me a, a sniffle or a cold, then do that. It, whatever it takes to get me to bow the knee because I do not want to live in continual disobedience sin. I don't want to do that at all. And so if, if you notice in your life that you have frustrations and getting traction for little or big victories in your life, search your heart and say, uh, search, say go to God, say, search me, O Lord, and, and see if there be any wicked way in me. And, and look at that and say, do you want God, if this is an area of my life that needs to change, then I'm going to change it uh, because I want to honor you with my life. And then what you're going to see is you're going to have a lot more victory in your life because of repentance. Amen. Now here's the third point. And I, and I like this point. Repentance brings abundance. Now let, let me, let me, I always have to have clarifiers. I always have to say clarifiers because in this day and age, especially if you people that are watching on online, uh, YouTube, man, we still got 94 people watching on YouTube. We haven't even lost, I don't know how many we got on Facebook. I appreciate you guys staying with us. We just got a, a, a few more moments together. But let me say this, categorically from this, this portion that I'm going to go into, I am not a prosperity preacher, okay? I'm not a name it, claim it, grab it, blab it kind of guy, okay? I don't flow in that stream. That's not who I am. And please don't take this portion of scripture that we're talking about as me saying something that I'm not saying, okay? I'm navel lint and so are you. You're a heap of pile, you're a heaping pile of dung on your best day. That's, and you deserve nothing because you are nothing. But 
that being said, sometimes the sun shines on the unrighteous as much as the righteous. And I believe that if we took scripture at its word, that we serve a God of abundance, not a God of less than. We serve a God of more than. Where that gets twisted is when you start to put demands on God and you tell him you're forced to do this because I told you to do this. No way. Don't play that game with God. You do not want to put yourself in a position where you're trying to force God to do something based on you twisting together a handful of scriptures. You don't want to do that at all. But... If we read the scripture for what it is, when we repent and we live according to God, there's always abundance that follows that. God relishes the opportunity to bless his children, but he cannot and will not bless disobedience. We see after repentance in this story with David, mercy, forgiveness, and victory, and we see abundance. Verse 30, then he took their king's crown from his head. His, his, its weight was a talent of gold with precious stones. And it was set on David's head. And he also brought out, uh, brought out the spoil of the city in great abundance. Now in the Old Testament, it's different than in the New Testament, uh, at least the examples that we see. In the Old Testament, when you had golden riches and you took it from somebody else and you laid it bare before your enemies, what you said to them was, God is blessing us. You're saying, you're saying to them that the nation of Israel, the God, uh, Yahweh is the God of Israel and the, the, the people of Yahweh are a blessed nation. You should follow Yahweh. And so these stories we see in the New Testament, there was always spoils that were taken from, from the, uh, uh, the pagan nations that served false gods as a testimony to them to say, do you know what? We are the, the, the people that are of the true God that are being blessed. And so immediately following David's repentance and victory, God brought abundance into his life. And in this instance, it was gold. Now, again, I don't want to stretch this verse into saying that you will get gold if you repent. But in this economy of the time, getting gold was a sign of blessings. Now, many of you have already came to this point where you say, well, uh, uh, why is the title of the sermon more toilet paper than you need? In this economy, the abundance of God might be more toilet paper than you need. It just might be what it is. Because I tell you, in this, in this economy, I don't need gold. I need, pa- I need paper towels. <laughs> Touch somebody and say, bag of rice. <laughs> it showed other nations that you were blessed and that you had power. In ancient Israel, gold was a sign of blessing. But again, we're not going to take that to this degree. But let's agree that blessings follow repentance. I love, I love this portion of scripture in Deuteronomy 28. And if you've got your Bibles, you can open up with me. We serve the same God of yesterday, today, and forever. God hasn't changed. You have. Yeah. I'm going to take God at his word. Blessings on obedience. That's what my Bible says at the top. It says blessings for obedience in Deuteronomy chapter 28. Now it shall come to pass, if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all his commandments, which I command you today, that the Lord your God will set you high above the nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you, because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city, blessed shall you be in the country, blessed shall be the fruit of your body, the produce of your ground, and the increase of your herds. 
and the increase of your cattle and the offspring of your flocks. Blessed shall you be, uh, blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall be, shall you be when you come in and blessed shall you be when you go out. The Lord your God will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before your face. They shall come out against you in one way and flee before you seven ways. The Lord will command the blessings on you in your storehouses and in all to which you set your hand. And he will bless you in the land which the Lord your God has given you. The Lord will establish you as his holy people to himself, just as he has sworn to you, if you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways. Verse 10, then all peoples of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the Lord your God, and they shall be afraid of you, and the Lord will grant you plenty of goods in the fruit of your body, and the increase of your livestock, and in the, in the produce of your ground, and the land of which your Lord swore to your fathers to give you. The Lord will open to you his good treasure, the heavens, to give you rain to your land in its season, and to bless all the work of your hand. You shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow, and the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. You shall be above only and not be beneath. If you heed the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today and are careful to observe them, so you shall not turn aside from any of the words which I command you this day to the right or the left to go after the other gods to serve them. How can that verse not say what it's saying? (laughs) Can we just take the scripture at its word? When you, are, when you are obedient to God, when you walk in His commandments, abundant blessings follow. That's just how it is. I believe that's what the Scripture says. And, and again, people have perverted it into forcing God to do something for them. And it's a horrible doctrine. It's a doctrine of demons. And I'm not saying that. I'm simply saying, repent and you will walk in abundance, whatever that looks like. Look at Psalm 36, 8 and 9. They are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house. And you give them drink from the river of your pleasures. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. Look at it as an example where, where it says, you are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house. In this season where this world is clamoring after everything they can buy and they can hold on to, the people of God are clamoring for the things of God and clamoring to be together in God's house and to to have that be our abundant blessing. And to a world that doesn't understand, to a world that wants things in their hands, that, that wants to hold on to tangible things. And we're saying to the world, all we want is to be together and worship the Lord and to have His abundant blessings together. That says to an unbelieving world. I don't understand why they desire other things that that we don't desire and how they can find satisfaction and peace just by meeting together in God's house. To be satisfied by that. See, I believe that abundance may just mean a car that runs and bills that are paid. That's just what it is. And I drive old cars. We got an an 06 car. And that thing runs, man. It's got two, almost 200,000 miles. I love that thing. Yeah. Heated seats. Yeah. <laughs> Paid for in Jesus' name. Yeah. Paid for in Jesus' name. Our whole life, I've never made a ton of money, but I will tell you this, in my family, we've always been taken care of. We've been married for 22 years this year, and we've never had a, a, a paycheck that we haven't tithed on. We've never, we've never had a, a big, huge, extravagant house or big, expensive cars, never those types of things. But I tell you, man, we've always ate well, and our bills have always been paid. My credit score, I think it's like an 830. My credit score is because I always pay my bills. God's always been faithful to us, man, always. 
And I, I don't look at him and say, God, how come I don't have this jet? Or how come I don't have this Lamborghini? Or how come I don't have this ostentatious, uh, you know, palatial estate on an island? Like, I just don't think about those things. Because I believe that abundance is scalable. My, my, my abundance that God has given over me, I mean, I, I eat all the ice cream that I want. To me, that's abundance. Well, to a point. <laughs> all, all the ice cream my belly can handle. What happens is that people look at other people's abundance and say, well, how come I can't have that level of abundance? Don't worry about what's going on in their life. Worry about what's going on in your life, man. Abundance is going to look different in everybody's life. Here's the truth, though. Psalm 37, 25. I've been old and I am now old, yet I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor his descendants begging bread. I will tell you in my church experience, the, the, the faithful followers of Christ are always taken care of. Always. That you never see them begging for bread because they are faithful to God. And again, abundance is scalable. I've seen it in their lives. What does it mean to you? Friend, if you're lacking peace and contentment and an abundance of peace in your life, it may be because you haven't repented. But if you do, I promise you that you will experience the abundance of God in every area of your life. Depression, anxiety, shame, guilt, relationship, jobs, all that, you're going to experience abundance. You're going to experience abundance of joy and abundance of peace. You're going to experience just an abundance of, uh, of living life that an unbelieving world will look at you and say, I don't understand how you have peace in the midst of this storm because I live an abundant life. I live totally and completely connected to Jesus. And, and, and friend, for those of you that are watching today that are believers in Jesus Christ, this is our moment. This is our time. This is that time when we show this unbelieving world that we're above this, that we're not afraid of this, that we're going to get through this, to walk in it. And they're going to look at us and, and, and they're going to see that God is real. Ephesians 3.20, now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. And again, it's more than just physical, it's spiritual. He can do more than you could ever think. It's spiritual, it's emotional, it's everything. Second Corinthians 9.8, and God is able to make all grace abound towards you that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. An abundance more than enough. John 10.10, 10, the thief does not come except to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and they might have it more abundantly. Psalm 65.11, you crown the year with your goodness and your paths drip with abundance. Matthew 6.33, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. I'm encouraging you not to ask for it, not to demand it, not to twist the scriptures, thinking that you're going to get God to do something for you just because you're trying to manipulate him. I'm just encouraging you to repent and watch what God does with your life. It may, not, it may take time. It may not look like what you thought it was going to look like or what you think it's going to look like, but it will happen. It may just be you have more toilet paper than you need, but it may be abundance. I'll leave you with a story before we shut down here. Way back in 1998, when me and my wife got married, I remember uh, we really wanted a brand new uh, Suburban. I, I, I've always, uh, you guys have dream cars. My dream car is a full-size Suburban. Um, I, I'm, I'm a big guy. I'm 6'5", 
200 and something pounds and, and I just need space. And so that was our dream car. And I remember in 99, we, we prayed to the Lord and we were like, God, will you just give us this vehicle? And, and he didn't, he didn't give us a, a brand new 99. And I remember how frustrated I was with that because I, I was like, man, I prayed for that and I wanted that. And he didn't give me that. Um, and, uh, way back when in the, uh, um, uh, in the uh, last downturn that we had in 2007, I think it was, in 2007 when gas prices around here went to $4, everybody else was offloading their large SUVs. And uh, so me and Crystal went and bought one when the gas prices were $4 because we figured like, well, no one else wants these. We've always wanted one. So we went and bought a 2003 Yukon XL. And I remember in 2009 when we still had that uh, vehicle, uh, uh, 2009, we, we still had our white 2003. And I remember I was sitting at a stoplight on 256, right off of highway 18. And I was sitting there at the stoplight waiting. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, you remember when you wanted that 99 and I didn't give it to you? Now I gave you a 2003 and it's paid for. And, and I remember in that moment, I thought, you know, that's just the way that God works is that sometimes we'll ask for something and God won't give it to us, but in God's timing, he'll give it to us. And it, and it becomes abundance, man. I praise God that he didn't give me a brand new vehicle that I couldn't afford. And he gave me one that was newer than a 99 after it was a few years older that I was able to afford and it was paid for. So um, I just want to encourage you to walk in abundance, man. I want you to encourage you to uh, believe that God's going to do what he said that he's going to do. Um, would you close your eyes? Would you bow your heads if you're at home? Um, would you begin to pray and believe with me that God's going to move in this last portion of the scripture? Don't, don't click off yet. Please don't click off. If you're watching on Facebook, YouTube, or Twitter, just stick with us for just a moment. If you are not a believer in Jesus Christ, I want to encourage you to give your life to Jesus today. And it's really quite easy. Either you're a Christian or you're not. Either you've given your life to him or you haven't. Either you've repented of your sins or you haven't. And today is your day. Today is your moment. Today is your opportunity to be able to give your life to Jesus. And so if you've never done that before, if you've never made a decision to say, I want to live for Jesus, I want to follow him, I want to uh, be forgiven of my sins, today is your day. And wherever you may be, I just want you to lift your hands up to the heavens and say, Lord, forgive me of my sins. I want to live for you. I want to live wholly and completely for you. I'm going to turn away from my sins and I'm going to turn towards you. And if you've never made that decision before, if you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, you did that for the first time. The Bible said you became a Christian today. Throw us a comment, send us an email, let us know that you gave your life to Jesus. And for the rest of you that are watching today, I just pray encouragement over you today in Jesus' name. If there's some other sin in your life you need to take care of, turn away from it and watch what happens. God is a God of mercy. He will forgive you. He's a God of victory. You're going to begin to see victory in your life because of your repentance. And then I believe that God's going to bring abundance in your life, whatever it may look like, even if it's more toilet paper that you need. Father, we thank you and we praise you for this time together. Father, we thank you that we had this opportunity to meet. Lord, we pray that your, your uh, will would be glorified in our lives, God, that we would live a life that's pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen.